Hello, Clear Skies Ahead listeners. This is Kelly Savoy, and I'm hoping you can take a moment of your time to rate and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We have produced over 60 episodes, and you can help us reach even more individuals that will benefit from the diverse experiences shared by our guests. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this new episode. Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Matt Mall, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences. We're happy to introduce today's guest, Melissa Burt, Assistant Professor and Assistant Dean for Diversity and Inclusion at Colorado State University. Welcome, Melissa, and thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Melissa, could you tell us a little bit about what sparked your interest in science and how it influenced your educational path? Sure. I guess I'll start with, um, as a kid, I grew up in Maryland, so outside of D.C., and I was terrified of tornadoes. And so those of you out there know that we don't really get tornadoes in Maryland that often, but it really was this uh, fear that sparked uh, curiosity in me to really want to understand more, you know, how does the weather work? Um, why do storms happen the way uh, that they do? And I think that really fueled me to want to go um, to do work to, to look at weather, right? And so in high school, everything that I did science-wise was focused around weather. And then when I learned uh, that you could go to college and actually study meteorology, I was like, I'm in, I'm down. <laughs> and so I think, you know, it, it started from this fear and really struck a, a curiosity, I guess, nerve in me. And I guess I propelled on from there. So did you do your own research and you found out for yourself that there were actually majors in college for meteorology? Or did you have some guidance or a mentor in school that helped you figure that out? Actually, it was two things. So my biology teacher uh, in high school was like, you really are fond of earth science. And because we didn't have that as an option, she really just kind of helped encourage me to like do some research. And then my band teacher uh, in high school was from Pennsylvania. And she, she told me one day that... Um, at her university that there was people majoring in meteorology. And I think that that's what just kind of started it for me. So I'd say twofold. I did a little bit of research myself and then from others um, who helped guide me there. It's so interesting that your your music teacher was the one who, who gave you that leg up on a meteorology degree. That's awesome. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what opportunities you pursued both inside and outside of school that you thought would be beneficial to securing a job in the profession? I think the the biggest thing that I found, um, and I guess it kind of started from a moment where I thought that the field wasn't for me. You know, I, I absolutely loved weather, but when I was in undergrad, um, I was starting to kind of struggle in different ways. And I think a lot of it was I wasn't in the right kind of headspace to, to truly do uh, the work that I was doing. And one of my advisors at the time uh, suggested that I try out this internship opportunity uh, where I could really kind of fully dive into to learning more about the research enterprise, I'll say in that way. And so by participating in this internship program uh, in Boulder, Colorado, I think it really uh, changed my, my viewpoint. One, from, you know, getting fully enthralled into doing research and what the research process was like, but also 
uh, seeing other undergrad students who were just as fascinated by the weather as I was, but people who also looked like me, right? And so just seeing a diversity of people who were truly interested in the field kind of brought me uh, into this community space. And so I think, you know, by by seeking out other opportunities like this research program, I was able to develop in that way, but also get these community of people around me to help kind of push me forward. So what was your first job in the field and how did you end up where you are today? So my first job was um, after I finished my master's degree uh, in atmospheric science, I was really interested in doing more education and outreach work um, within the weather, water, climate space. And I took a job with a National Science Foundation Science and Technology Center where my role was really uh, developing new educational programs around weather and also uh, focused around helping uh, students from um, a variety of different backgrounds kind of enter into the field. And so by developing these education and diversity programs, um, one, it was exciting for me as a way to give back uh, into the community, but also to open up the doors uh, for so many other students. Because I knew, you know, my time uh, doing an internship really helped me. And so if I could provide that same, same type of opportunity for other students, that was a really cool thing uh, for me to do and also was just a really cool first job uh, that I had. And so were there many jobs in between? Or did you move from that to where you are now? I feel like I've been here at Colorado State for a very <laughs> long time. Um, so my first job was here at Colorado State. And then after finishing my PhD, um, I moved into a research scientist position. And so from there, I then took on another job focused around education and diversity here at CSU, which essentially brought me to where I am today. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what is a typical day in the role of assistant professor or assistant dean of diversity and inclusion at Colorado State? What comes across your desk? What do you what are you seeing during the course of a during the course of a day? You mean outside of a lot of emails? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll say, you know, um, I think when I when I look specifically at my role uh, related to the Assistant Dean for Diversity and Inclusion. And that role is within our college. And so within the College of Engineering here. And I do a lot of things from, you know, supporting students, having conversations with them specifically around equity and inclusion issues that they may be faced with uh, here in the university. Um, I'll say, you know, other parts of my day are sitting in a lot of leadership meetings and having conversations and, and strategy around you know, are we meeting our goals? What are some um, experiences that are happening? How can we be more strategic from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens about, um, about what we're doing? And I say oftentimes, like every single week, I am either doing a training uh, for, for faculty or staff uh, here in our college or leading some sort of programming for, for our students. And so that's from the lens of the, the dean role. And as a faculty member uh, in atmospheric science, I would say it's probably a little bit of the same thing still, you know, having conversations with students. Um, if I'm not, if I'm teaching my class, you know, the typical, you teach a class, you talk to students afterwards, that sort of thing. So what is it about your job that you like the most where you're like, oh, I'm so glad I get to do this today. This is what really, you know, excites me. Two things. The first, I'll say, um, 
is being a resource uh, for students here on our campus, right? So I, I have the opportunity because I work in the college space that I get to interact with students from all of our departments within our college. And uh, many of them haven't had many opportunities to connect with uh, faculty members of color. And so many times, you know, I'm that resource for them as a person just to talk with, share some experiences with, um, ask for advice in that way. And I think the other thing is that I love working with um, with our college uh, staff and also our faculty and just having the opportunities to collaborate, um, to work on proposals. I know a lot of people don't like writing proposals, but I have like an amazing group of people that I just really love to collaborate with, spark out different ideas and, and be able to connect in that way. And so what's the, the work-life balance? Do you have pretty set hours or, um, you know, is it Monday through Friday or is it more varied? I would say I try to do the best that I can with that. You know, I feel like, yes, there's the the Monday through the Friday, the nine to five sort of job, but sometimes other things do kind of permeate up to the top. So I really try to take a, I don't like to always use the word balance. I really like to say to do the best that I can with whatever is at hand at the moment and really strive uh, to, to be there in those ways. And so when I'm not working, I try to really separate myself out from, from that workspace and do you know lots of crafts or do things like that, hang out with um, my husband or my daughter in that way. Yeah, I, uh, somebody was just telling me about some television show, I can't remember what it's called, but where it's some kind of dystopian thing that when you go into work, all your all your thoughts and memories for home go away. And when you leave the office, all your office memories and thoughts go away. And I was thinking, oh man, you know, I think a lot of us need that. <laughs> I think that would be amazing, right? Sometimes yeah. you're like, I wish I could leave the job at the job. Yes. Right? But I don't know if that actually exists. Yeah, I don't know. Unless you're, you know... On that television show. But anyway. <laughs> so could you tell us, is there anything that you would have done differently in your career? Probably not, right? Because then I wouldn't be where I am right no. now. So I would say no, but I think, I feel like I am a, what is it, extroverted introvert. And so I really hate talking to people sometimes. I mean, I love being here and talking with you on this. <laughs> but I think if I would have done that a bit more, especially as an undergrad student, um, that I wouldn't have reached uh, points where I felt like I couldn't continue. You know, the more that I could have had conversations with people or to share a little bit more about what I was feeling or experiencing, I think that that would have been probably more beneficial. And is one of the, the strategies or pieces of advice that I give all students, like don't wait until the, like you're at the final point before you say something about it, right? And so I think if I could would have looked back at myself and said, you know, have more conversations with your advisor or with your peers or someone, you know, I think that that would have helped um, maybe alleviate some of the challenges, but likely not all of them. Well, it sounds like, you know, you've had enough experience that you can advise students well. So can you tell us about some of the challenges and opportunities that exist with engaging, inspiring, and, and empowering young professionals in the field? Yeah, I think... So I say one opportunity, um, you know, this is an AMS podcast, and I think 
my world opened up for me when I attended my first uh, AMS meeting, right? And so I would really encourage students, no matter what what field you're in, is to seek out that professional society uh, that is connected to your community and go there, bring a buddy, chat with people in that way uh, to have that conversation. I would say other things is to ask, you know, people who may have jobs that you may be interested in a little bit about what is their life like? What is their day-to-day like to learn about, you know, what could be useful for you or to learn about what opportunities are available? I think also, you know, especially when you're either from high school going into college or finishing up your undergrad and growing into whatever may be next for you, you only do like what you know, Right. And so if you don't connect with people, even outside of that typical box or that typical window that you're interested in, you don't have a great uh, view of of what really is available to you. So I try to get students, especially um, students that I either advise, you know, through the traditional routes or just students that I work with through our student organizations here at Colorado State, is to really try to step out of your box or to widen that box just a little bit. Um, because you never know what's on the other side. And so seeking out those opportunities or trying something that you're like, it sort of sounds interesting and just kind of dive in it a little bit more. So what are some of the biggest challenges uh, that you see facing diversity, equity, inclusion in the in the weather, water, climate enterprise right now? Ooh, <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> I think, um, I guess, the first, and I would say this, this is even broader than the weather, water, climate community, is people thinking that diversity, equity, and inclusion is an add-on component, right? And I I feel as though if more people can see that it's a, a central or a foundational component to everything that they do, that it will be more tangible. It's something that you can better grasp. And it's not just this piece that's like over here on the side. So that's number one, is that it's not a a siloed activity, it's an integrated activity. I think the other piece is just the climate and cultures of organizations. And and that's from the lens of, you know, oftentimes we just do things the way that they have always been done. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, right? And and it's not always open to, you know, what else there could be. Right. Or we're not open because really change is hard. Right. So we're not open to those things. And and, um, I think that's a difficult piece. And I find that, you know, people you never know what people are going through. You never know um, what happened to them before they got into their interaction with you. And so. I find a challenging piece is just the the. People are trying to be who they are and they want to show up in the places as they are. But oftentimes people are told that you have to hide those pieces or you don't talk about that. You don't talk about being a mother and a faculty member. You don't talk about all of those other duties of things that you have to do. And so if we can get to a place um, within our community, within the greater community, that people can be who they are in the places that they're in, I think that's how we can get over some of those challenges, especially so that people feel that they're included, that they're able to show up as their whole selves in their in their work environments or whatever environment it may be. Yeah, I I was thinking that like lots of times people in organizations 
they're not thinking about what you're saying before about other people's maybe challenges or things that might be difficult for them in terms of like even as simple as scheduling like a faculty meeting or scheduling some type of activity where, you know, maybe if you have older children or, um, you know, you're single, you don't think, oh, well, I can do this at six o'clock. You know, I don't have to make dinner for anybody or whatever. And I, I think if more people just are cognizant of, okay, let's look at all the different people here and maybe even ask, okay, before we set a meeting date, why don't we ask some people on staff what, what's best? So yeah, I think a lot of these things are just, when it's finally brought to somebody's attention, they're like, ah, you know, the light bulb goes off. But I think there just needs to be more of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, if there was one thing, well, there was a lot of things that came out of the COVID experience, I'll say that because it's still going, um, is that it really made people pause, right? And I think specifically at the early stages of COVID, you know, we really were thinking about people as people because there were so many other things that were happening around the world, like around happening around us at that time, that people had to truly pause and take a breath and like sit with the specific moment, right? And I found specifically in the work environment or workplaces that I am in that people were really cognizant about how people were doing, how people were feeling, how they were experiencing things. Could they show up in a specific way in that day? And I hope that those conversations or those experiences don't go away because we're returning back to that normal or whatever normal may be situation. And so your question was really around the challenges um, faced within the weather, water, climate community. And I think that that is one of the greatest challenges, right? Is to really see people for who they are in the spaces that they are in and what they are bringing to the table and ask questions, right? Truly ask questions because that's where people will feel more included They'll feel valued. They'll feel affirmed in the things that they do. Um, and I think it leads to, to greater equity uh, as well. And you're the chair of the AMS Culture and Inclusion Cabinet. Could you tell us a little bit about the cabinet and why it was established? Yeah, so a few years ago uh, now, uh, within the, the AMS Council, we really wanted to ensure that our uh, diversity, equity, inclusion work was not sitting just in one committee or one board and to really work towards uh, spreading it across the whole society. So to really think about equity and inclusion as a central foundational component of the society. And so the Culture and Inclusion Cabinet um, was created in this way to help one, strategize, and also to help uh, work with everyone within our, our space, right? If it's the staff, it's the volunteers, it's the, all of the members to ensure that uh, equity and inclusion was central and spread across the society so that everybody sees what their role is and to see the importance and the value of thinking about, you know, diversity and inclusion in that way. And also to help the society, you know, really take to heart uh, the importance of, of these issues. Yeah, I was um, I was happy to see that get established, and 
How is that going so far? Is it, uh, I know it's still kind of in the early stages, but is it doing what you hoped it would? Well, it's been three years and starting anything from scratch is number one hard. Um, But I think, you know, I think we're progressing in the right direction. I think it's been a lot of work having conversations to describe what we are and how that may be different than other entities uh, within the society. But I think we're pushing along well. And um, in a few years, maybe ask me that question again to see where we're at. But I think it's going in the right direction. And, you know, there's always more work to do. Great. Well, we're so grateful for everything you've told us about your career. However, before you go, we'd like to ask our guests one fun question at the end of our show. So if you could be one famous person, alive or dead, who would it be? I would, I, okay, I'll say, I've already met this person, or at least one of the people. And anyone who knows me since I was probably, you know, eight years old knows that I love Mariah Carey. And I won this contest a few years ago where um, I won a trip to, to spend a few days with her in New York City. Oh and it was the gosh. most amazing experience of my life. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got I got to hear a little bit more about this, Melissa. Okay. All right. So what what happened? Okay, so number 1. <laughs> see, I got really excited about this part. Um number 1, I was in grad school. It was my first year of grad school, and I have been entering Mariah Carey contests for forever, like since 1990. And uh this time I just had to uh, download this song from iTunes, mail in my receipt, and apparently there was going to be a winner. And I thought, you know, these contests happen, right? There's probably a few winners, right? I was the only winner. And essentially, they were like, um, you won this contest. We're going to fly you and a friend to New York. You're going to have three days with her. And you'll go to some of her TV interviews. And then the trip will end with a, with a big dinner uh, with her. And I assumed that there was going to be like 30 people at this dinner. Uh, but I was wrong. It was Mariah Carey, me, and my mom, and one oh of her dancers. Wow. <laughs> and it was amazing. So when you think about meeting someone that you have, like, dreamed about for your whole life, number one, you're like, I hope, well, one, what questions do you ask? <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, what I would, questions I would, do I, I would ask? be like, I'd be just, like, frozen and, like, awe. <laughs> I was like, should I have a script? Like, should I, should I have a list right. of prepared questions? Uh, but... I was super nervous, too, because I really just didn't want to be let down. And I have to tell you, she was so amazing. She was so down to earth. She asked me all of these questions about the weather, and I was loving it. It was amazing. That is is absolutely amazing. Because you never know, right? Like, you're so afraid that this person that you know, you respect it and, and you just love so much is like going to be just awful. And, and, and you're going to be like, oh no, you know, I, all, all my dreams are crushed. But that is awesome that it was, first of all, it was awesome that it was just like a couple of you. It was so amazing. So you got like her undivided attention. Undivided and- attention. The dinner was like four hours long. <gasps> she brought so much like memorabilia. She was like, who do you want me to write things to? It was just, you know, she has this oh, persona wow. of being this like, you know, diva. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to say it. I was going to wait for you to bring it up because, you know, she does have a, have a little bit of a reputation with that, but it sounds like she's not really like that. I think it's just the character. 
in real life, it's she was just amazing. And, you know, I'll, the last thing I'll say is that I sort of tortured my mom with her music for my whole life. <laughs> and so I was like, here's my gift back to you. Now we get to go meet her. And my mom was an absolute fan. And she will be a fan forever now after that experience. Oh, that sounds so incredible. That's right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Melissa, and sharing your work experiences with us. Thanks for having me. Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time, rain or shine. Clear Skies Ahead. Conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is edited by Peter Trebke. Technical direction is provided by Peter Killalay. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy, and the show is hosted by Matt Mall and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www.ametsoc.org forward slash clear skies. And you can contact us at skypodcast at ametsoc.org if you have any feedback or would like to become a future guest.